uncommon. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some are for uncommon purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for uncommon purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Uncommon, rare, irreplaceable, and useful. We shared last week, and we will continue over this next many weeks, talking about the series that we have taught before here, and especially the training. We will allude to that over time, is the concept of living uncommon. But I want to make sure and help that we understand that spiritual transformation here at Renovation is not just a system, it's not just something we put in place that go, okay, if you just do these things, you'll end up with this result. Our hope is we will never try to do what only God can do. But what we hope to do is give the best conditions for God to do what only God can do. Farmer planting a seed he can pick the right season, he can till the ground, he can plant the seed, he can water it, he can fertilize it, he can do all those things, but there's one thing he can't make it, make, it, make it do. He can't make it grow. But what he can do is give the best conditions for it to grow. So as you listen to us over these next many weeks, I hope and pray that you understand that we don't think just because you do click, 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 boom, you end up with that. We just want to help you have the best conditions in the way that we see it and the way that we think about it in order to be there. So that's why we are going to teach you over this next many weeks the concept of uncommon. Today we will start out with blind spot and if you, I don't know if we have the location slide up there or not, but one of the things that we talk about, if you're going on a trip, the first thing you need to know, yes of course, where you're headed, which is destination. And the word ethos there means ethos is Christ-likeness in the way that we teach this. Everything that we do here, if it is not helping us to become more like Christ and loving others, please call us out on it. It's not so you will become more familiar and like Pastor Kurt or Renovation Church or anything. It's Christ-likeness. Now, hopefully... Pastor Kurt and those who are around will reflect Christ, and you'll go, hey, I like what I see there, but it is not to become like us. It is to become like him. That's the destination. However, if you're going on a trip, the first thing you need to know is where you are. So that's where we're starting today in location. This week and next week, we'll be around Blind Spot and Built to Run. Blind Spot. Now, when I named it this many years ago, most vehicles, new vehicles, did not have the blind spot assist, did not have that little beeper on the side, okay? So this seems a little dated, but work with me, okay? But most of us, if you've been driving any amount of time, you have been in that situation where you've 
you've looked at your rear view mirror, you've looked at your side mirror, you've looked in your peripheral, and you've started to change lanes, and all of a sudden you get honked at. Somehow or another, with you doing everything right, somehow or another you missed a 4,000-pound, 15, 20-foot-long, <laughs> 5-foot-high piece of metal that's going 75 or 80 miles an hour. You missed it. And thank goodness they honked, and thank goodness you got yourself back into your lane. Hopefully that happened, because if not, if you kept going, there's a great chance you not only hurt yourself, you hurt someone else. So blind spot is those areas that we can't see, even if we're trying to do right things, we may still miss it. And blind spots begin to challenge us. And assist us, especially when we do the training, in revealing those areas of our lives that are drains or negatives in our ability to influence others for the kingdom. Our vision statement, which I, we do not have, I'm sure each one of you have got it memorized, is to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where we're engaged and influential, to raise up influencers. So if we're going to raise up influencers, we've got to find out location-wise what are some things that maybe are taking away from our opportunity to influence others for the kingdom. Now, you can take these principles to influence others for other things that you want to do in life too, I guess, but our purpose here is to influence you or to, to, to help you influence for Christ's sake. That's the reason why we do what we do here. But hopefully, it's allowing you to do that in places that you're already engaged and influential, at your workplace, in your home, uh, on, on the sports field, wherever that may be, and whatever you're doing. And I break it down, and in, in, in really, this is uh, way more information. Uh, I've got way more information on this than we could share, obviously, in one sermon. But I just want to break it down into what I would call, lack of a better way, minor and major blind spots. And a minor blind spot would be one that's kind of, say, an annoyance. Uh, could be a mistake along the way that you just kind of keep repeating over and over. Or it's just a distraction to you or to uh, people around you. It's not necessarily a, a sin, but it's just an annoyance. For instance, I mean, you may be, you may be married to somebody that's not very neat, doesn't like to keep things clean. It's annoying to you, okay, but it's not necessarily a sin necessarily, but if they're connected to other people and they're trying to influence them, that annoyance could diminish their influence. It could be how you take care of your health. You could say, well, it's not necessarily an issue for me, or maybe you're trying to, maybe you, maybe you try to overwhelm other people about how they should be healthy. It could be an annoyance to them. It could drain from your influence or the way you take care of yourself. They may see words here about how you want to live your life to the fullest, but maybe your health and the way you take care of it doesn't reflect that. So it steals a little bit from that. But some of the practical ones for me personally, I'll just share some of them in my own life. And I've tried to improve it over the years. I know some of you are going to say, that's the improved version. One of them is grammar, okay? 
Mine's improved over the years. I know it's a shock to some of you that it has, but it has. But my awesome wife has tried to correct me over the years to try to help me because she knows in some ways it's, it, it steals a little bit from your influence, how people will take you serious if you don't know how to articulate certain things. Accent-wise can be seen as, especially being from the South, especially being from a small town in Arkansas, as a hillbilly. I can't do anything about the accent thing, okay? There are certain things in life you just look at and go, you got that one, okay? And so that part of it I really can't do anything about, even though some people may look at that as a hick or a hillbilly. And I've shared with you before, my graduating class in high school had 11 people in it. I graduated in the top 10 of those 11 people. So don't want to hear any more about the ignorant part of it. One huge influence stealer in, in homes, I believe, is possibly perceived favoritism a parent has with another child, with a child, when you have multiple children. One of the things Jan wrote me up on, on our survey, just so you know, when you do the uncommon training, there is a survey of about 70 questions that you do, that you fill out, you answer all the questions in detail the best you can, then you send those answers to someone else that I'll talk about here in a minute, a fan who observes your answers and tells you whether you're correct or not about your answers. This is not for the faint-hearted. Because I've done this and sent it to Jan. One of the things Jan wrote me up, wrote me up like, like a police officer, I'm writing you up. That she made a real, it made a real impact on me. With Sundays, I, I, I say often, when, when is your most insecure time? My most, most insecure time is from noon to about 10 o'clock Sunday afternoon after I've preached. Because I don't know what all I've said, because I don't go 100% off my notes, if you haven't noticed that. You don't know. I do have notes up here. Uh, but I don't know, really know how it came out. I really don't know, well, well I should have said that or I shouldn't have said that. So what often I would do, we have all, often, almost every Sunday, we have someone at our home, mostly our kids, and we have lunch. But one of the habits I had was I was so wiped out and so disengaged from the conversation at the table, almost as soon as I finished eating, I went and sat in the recliner. Now, I'm only 15 feet or 12 feet away, whatever. But Jen said, you know, I really, I don't think you understand how much that sends a message. I don't know if that's the right word she said, but, but she said, you know, how much I dislike you going and sitting over there while we're all still at the table talking. To some degree, it was stealing influence I had in my family, even though I'm probably still in the same mindset, sitting in my chair at the table. At least I'm sitting at the table. Now you say, well, that's not a big deal. That's a minor one. But it matters, and it mattered to Jan. And guess what? What matters to Jan matters to me. For some of you, they've st- they moved transition between minor and becoming major. When you take on relationships, 
And if you began to look at all your relationships, and we'll talk about that more in a few weeks about relationships in themselves, but one of your minor ones is you're more of a withdrawer than you are a depositor or an investor in most relationships. In other words, any relationship you have of any significance, you're a withdrawer. You're constantly taking from other people, but you're not depositing. And you're sure not investing. You suck the life out of other people. And we talk about it in influence. you got to figure out, you can't even, you cannot, and pastors have a tendency to do this, surround themselves at times with a lot of withdrawers. And not very many depositors or investors. Some of you may be a conversation monologuer. Some of you just come to the point with just saying, that's just the way I am. Deal with it. And I like to say, yeah, and that's the problem. Bluntness. Most bluntness, I hear people say, well, I'm blunt. That's just the way I am. And I hear that, and I go, well, that's normally when I hear people do that, if it's not out of love, if it's trying to tell truth with love, often bluntness is what? It's insecurity. Because I don't want to deal with something. So I push you off by being blunt. And I end the conversation. Influence stealer. Influence drain. Those are just the minor ones. Then we go to major ones. The major ones are those areas that not only have the potential of stealing your ability to influence, but this blind spot has the ability to control and even destroy our lives and those who are connected to us. That's how big this one is. And often it's not even a blind spot in the fact that we don't know about it. We just choose to ignore it. And in in one turn, I'm just going to ignore it even though I know it's there, so it's as if I don't have it. How many of you know that our lives are not lived in a vacuum? What we do or don't do affects other people. And those closest to you, well, they've probably known for years what you think that you've hidden or you're avoiding or you're ignoring. It could be from addictions, habits, to attitudes of unforgiveness, of criticism, say it's crude comments. could be all kinds of different things. The one thing I don't want said about me, and maybe it is because often it's never said to you, well, that's just Kurt. Ignore it. I do not want that said about me. Sometimes these major ones move into what we call spiritual strongholds. And we've talked about over the last many weeks why in Barna's study is that most Christians, most Christians, 
become capped in their spiritual walk. Capped. Unbelievably high percentage of all Christians get capped and they're, they're kind of meandering. Why we get to one place on that spiritual ladder, at spiritual rung, and can't seem to move, and we get capped. If there's an area we will not deal, deal with, I believe Christian growth stops. People grow in areas that they're free. And most people in a spiritual stronghold are not there because they're uninformed, but because they're deceived. They're deceived in the sense that, well, all Christians just have to live with this. This will always be here. term spiritual stronghold or stronghold in the Greek means a hard place, a battlefront, an entrenchment. It's a fortress. It's a place that's dominated by a particular group. Could be, when you're talking about a real battle or warfare, but it's marked by a particular characteristic. Now, a spiritual stronghold, I think we have the slide any area that seems to we have no choice but to act and react. It just happens. You, you, you don't really want it in that sense, but it somehow or another continues to come up. An area of conflict. In other words, it's the same old cycle. You just feel like you're getting a little bit of space, and all of a sudden you're right back where you were. Let me say this, and I'll come down here to the illustration. Uh, this is the one of the ways the enemy trips us up. We begin to follow Christ and we begin to do good and all of a sudden we, we trip and we fall. And again, what's the thing? When you fall down in, in, the, in a physical sense, in a regular daily deal, what's the first thing you, you try to do? You try to get back up and you look around and see if anyone saw you fall, right? The other thing is you normally would do when you get tripped up is turn to see what tripped you and there's two reasons you do that in this sense for sure one is I don't want to trip over it again but two is I don't want anyone that's following me to trip over it either do not do this in a vacuum I correct these I try to get back up get up don't give up the enemy would tell you to give up You've done this 40 times. Give up. Don't give up. Get up. There's some people depending on you to get up and identify what you tripped over. And get it out of their life where they don't trip over it. You people are awfully quiet this morning. I'm telling you, this is the quietest it's been in here in a long time. I may start amening myself here in a minute. It's an area the enemy has come in, whether by choice or by force. I don't know all your story. And I hate it that there are things that have happened 
to many of you in this room or those listening online that you had no choice in. It happened to you. Then some of us, like myself along the way, picked up things. Pornography was one of mine. I chose. It, had, it became a stronghold. Promise strongholds are it's going to take a radical and extreme measures to get rid of it. And it'll want to come back. But one of the reasons I believe that people hesitate to move forward on this, because that in itself can become our security blanket. If I didn't have that in my life, I know no other me except with that. What will I look like and what will life be like if I don't have that? For instance, where you land on forgiveness. See, to me, forgiveness is actually the best barometer of your walk with Christ. If you really, really want to know how deep your walk with Christ is, tell me how quickly and how easily and how completely you forgive. Some of you have allowed unforgiveness to to really dictate your whole life. I'm not trying to make light of it or make fun of you or condemn you here today. I'm just saying there's hope. That unforgiveness has has tainted every relationship you've ever been in, possibly. Because you can't forgive. And I get it. Because these strongholds of memories and wounds... You know, I, I cut my hand this week, and, and uh, one of the things, I can tell you even a story behind it. It's not any, in any form or fashion exciting, so I won't share that with you. But you know what I've tried to do? I've tried to, I've even wore a glove on it. I'm trying to protect this open wound because I want it to heal. And you almost go to any extreme to get a physical wound healed. Because just one little bit of salt, you go, ah, man, it doesn't have to be like, a, like your whole sides gaped open. It's one little spot. But you try to avoid getting anything in it. And I've got a scar that looks like a fish hook on top of my head. And before long, you're going to be able to see it real clear, apparently. <laughs> real clear. Way clearer than I want you to, okay? I got one on my knee. I got one right here where I replaced this hip. Or I didn't do it, actually. I just, I was just, a, I was knocked out. I didn't do anything. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? They all have a story. You know what the best part of those stories, all those stories are? I got over it. I'm okay. You know you tell a story different when, there, when there's a scar than you do when there's an open wound? They're different kind of stories. And some of you have kept an open wound most of your life. 
like I said, it's dictated so much of your, all your relationships. I think if we knew to the, fullest, to, the, to the full extent from God's perspective, you ever wish you could see from God's perspective? I think right now in the world we're living in, we'd all kind of go, okay, God, let me see, have a view of what you're looking at here because the way I'm looking at it, we're in trouble. Even though by faith we walk that we're not in trouble. But can you imagine looking from God's perspective concerning Unforgiveness, strongholds, resentment, self-centeredness. If we could see from God's perspective the damage those do, not only to ourselves, but to those connected to us, I can't imagine we would keep doing it. The damage. Years sometimes of damage. Who would continue to do that by choice? But let me say this. When you don't deal with it, you eventually make it someone else's problem. When you don't deal with it, you eventually make it someone else's problem. And it may be a bunch of someone else's problem. Because you will not deal with it. Okay, Kurt, not disagreeing with you. What do I do with it? Well, obviously... I've already shared with you there is an uncommon training that we're not going to go through during this series. So I'm going to try to give you a few little bites, a few little handles. I guess a better way to say handles that may be of some help. And I want to say in here, for some of you, you very well may need to seek professional help on some of these. I would prefer it be from a Christian perspective personally, but you do what the Lord leads you to do. But you may need help to overcome some of these strongholds. But I want to share three handles that may be of some help and maybe an encouraging word. The Lord gave me this years ago. I was asked to speak on something, at, of all things, at senior high camp on strongholds. Now, I, you know, why? I was a youth pastor. And I was at <clears throat> Alma School in Elliott Intersection. And the Lord does this with me sometimes. And again, it may just be good for me, may not be any help to you. But I was at Alma School in Elliott and Chandler, I think it's Chandler, it could be Mesa, but I think it's Chandler, Alma School in Elliott is. And the Lord gave me these three things as I was praying as I was driving. And I hope they may be of some help to you. The first one is this, steps to staying free, steps to getting free, and steps to maybe staying free. Again, you may have to have more help than this, but I, I hope and pray that it will be of some help to you. Number one is, you've got to acknowledge your responsibility. There is a responsibility. You know, it's not a shame to have a blind spot, or it's not a shame to have a stronghold. It's just a shame to keep it. 
okay? But you need to acknowledge it. Kind of like Jesus talking to the man by the pool in John chapter 5. He, he asked him, do you want to get well? And the man says, well, every time I get up, every time I try to move someone, no, Jesus won't say, no, I didn't ask you the excuses. My question was, do you want to get well? That, that's the question. I don't need any more excuses. You can stay if you want to stay there. The question is, do you want to get well? That's the question. The desire to get healthy, the desire to begin to grow, the desire to want to continue to move with God, the desire not to be capped in your faith. Unfortunately, many would rather stay in bondage than admit that they need to move. Some believe it will eventually go away and they know better. It's not. Whatever that is that keeps reoccurring. I read this years ago and it's just stuck with me. And again, when I go back to what I said earlier, sometimes we keep this friend around, whatever this is, this issue around, because that's how we're known, or that's how we're, our bluntness. I'm known by my bluntness. I'm known by my, my crude remarks. I'm known by this, or I'm known by that. That's kind of my identity. But it's stealing your influence. You've seen it almost as a friend. But I read this years ago, God doesn't deliver you from your friends. He only delivers you from your enemies. For some of you, it could be an addiction of alcohol or, or social media or gossip. or we could, I mean, I, I've got a list so long. <laughs> Mostly coming out of my own life. No, just, but I'm just saying. If that distraction you're going to keep as a friend and you know it's keeping you from living into the fullness, not only of your relationship with God, but your relationship with others, if you know that, then God probably will never deliver you from it because you've kept it as a friend. And it's your responsibility to identify it. Must become an enemy. And that's become a point where it's so unacceptable it almost makes you sick to your stomach to think that you've lived with it for so long and not done anything about it. Identify the blind spots. Location, identify them. Quit protecting them. Cut off the supply line to them. A wound you embrace and protect cannot be healed. A habit you protect cannot be healed. You can't give God half your heart and expect Him to make you whole. I think that's probably the biggest issue, and we'll talk about it more in Walk in Front. You cannot give God half your heart and expect him to make you whole. You can't do it, won't do it, ain't happening. 
bad grammar. It's okay. Second part of this is accountability. Back to the fact you may need professional help in this. But many of us will not. What we need is to realize there's three sides of me. There's a side of me I let you see. There's a side of me I don't let you see. And there's a side of me I can't see without your help. Can't do it. I just can't see it. For whatever reason, I've built these blinders, these blind spots that I cannot see the things that need to change about my life. You must make it an essential part of your life to get good information on who you are and who is influencing you and what is influencing you. Because I believe one of the greatest challenges every person has is are they getting the brutal facts on what their life really looks like? Because it's too easy to convince ourselves of something that's not true. We talk about it in Uncommon, a fan. A fan, and you would, have, you would be asked to get fans, you know, not rent a, van, rent a fan, okay, it's fans you hope you already have, but some may not. And it's this, someone who loves you but is not impressed by you, who always has your best interest at heart. And you won't have 20 of them. You may have a handful. I know people who have gone through this training who says I don't have one. Successful people. I like somebody who's living on the street somewhere that you go, well, well, they don't really know anybody. Maybe they even have more. I'm talking about extremely successful who would say they don't have one person who would speak into their life clearly that they trust. Henry Cloud years ago came, showed this at GLS that we have taken and, and kind of owned. It's called the wise fool evil. Um, and it's when, when confronted with truth in our lives. When, when you're confronted with truth, what do you do with truth? Because truth in this sense equals light. Okay, I don't think it's a big leap in Scripture that truth can equal light. Okay. But the wise, the wise adjust to the truth. They step towards the light. Correct them and they change and thank you. That's the wise. The fool, they adjust the truth. <laughs> they deflect the light. Wherever it needs to go, man, they're going to they're try to, if you shine the light on me, I'm going to deflect it back at you. I'm going to deflect it over here. Just to somebody, yes, not me. They deny, minimize, and externalize. They may deflect due to insecurity and shame. And we need to, we'll talk about that more. But shame is one of the things that holds people. It's a stronghold. Shame and guilt are two different things. We should feel guilt. It leads us to salvation. But shame puts us in bondage. And the last one is evil. You show this person truth or this organization truth or whoever it is, they try to break the light. 
Their intent is destruction, combative, back to the first C in the five C's. The combative, that's part of what they They look to destroy the light. They want to inflict pain. Don't you dare call me out on something because I'm going to tell you, you're, not going to, you're just going to barely breathe it before I'm pounding on you. I am not going to look at me. Uh, you, you're crazy if you think that's about to happen. But what I am about to do, I got energy and I got passion. That passion, guess what? It's coming at you. It's hard to swallow. But I think the biggest barriers in my journey and personal relationships through my lifetime up to this very day, 36 years of marriage, 30 years of ministry, being a parent of four, through close relationships, the biggest barrier to the abundant life is me. Sure, I've been hurt. Sure, I've been wronged. But this is my life. No more excuses. No more pointing fingers. It's time to take responsibility and accountability for where I am. Sure, someone else may have hurt me. Sure, someone else may have done me wrong. Sure. So now they have more control of my life than I do? That sounds insane. Unforgiveness allows someone who hurts you to have control over you, and they don't even care. That's insane. That's how insane unforgiveness is. Is that that person still has control over you or that situation still has control over you. Insanity. I get why you're there. Because maybe no one's ever challenged you. No one's ever said, do you realize how you're destroying not only yourself and you paralyze yourself, you're paralyzing those connected to you? If you could see from God's perspective the damage... The last one is divine capability. Responsibility, accountability, and divine capability. Because the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On contrary, they have divine powers to demolish strongholds. Demolish strongholds, I just want to make sure you clear understand. It doesn't destroy them where they never come back. It just renders them useless. But if you go build it back again, it can come back. First, you need to believe that God's grace is sufficient. However you've ended up here and whatever, however many years you've carried something that you look back on and go, how did I let, how did I carry that that long? It's okay. God's grace is sufficient today to heal you, even forgive you to some of the trickle damage, ripple damage that came out of that unforgiveness. He can deal with all that. But you got to start trusting him. God's power to rebuild is greater than Satan's power to destroy. 
But it starts with deep repentance, desire, and yes, it starts with truth. And you have to be desperate enough because it's going to take an unbelievable amount of cooperation between God's divine power and your willingness to allow what he needs to do in your life. Somebody may be waiting for you too, friend, to get free so they can be set free. You know, one of the things I talk about here when we talk about, well, something you've been praying for may be on the fourth rung and you're still stuck here capped at the first rung or whatever. But guess what? What may be on that third or fourth rung? It may be the answer to some prayer of someone else getting free, but you've got to get free first for them to see it in your life. They believe it's true. Again, when I was saved, I gave my life to the Lord 35 years ago. The day I walked that out, I thought the work was done. I'm going to heaven. I'm no longer going to hell. But what the Bible tells me is, is that Christ came to redeem mankind. And it offers a whole lot more than forgiveness of your sins, which is critical. That's the step in. One reason why we're named Renovation Church is because we believe there's way more to this than just having our sins forgiven. And that's awesome. And do not ever, don't hear what I'm not saying. What Christ did on the cross, there is no substitute. And there is no diminishing it. But there's so much more than just getting a punch, a ticket punch to heaven. Ephesians 4, 23. 2 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Christ came, not only would you be saved and go to heaven, but to redeem what you were intended to be all along, to begin to restore us back to what we were made for originally. Restoration. I think for many of you, you've been pushed down and you've been beat down so long, it's hard to believe that God had an unbelievable plan for your life and still does. We believe that the first place you start is identifying the location of where you are right now. Blind spot is that first step. But I want to encourage you. He came to redeem it all. Your past, as you look at it, 
Your past is important because it's brought you to where you are. But your past is not near as important as the way you see your future in the hands of Jesus Christ. If your past, and you take your past, I mean up till this morning, and maybe there's a habit or whatever's happened up to even to this day walking in here. When you look at your past and your memories, memories are, can be awesome. Memories can be horrifying. We both we know there's a mixture of both. But let me, let me be clear about this. When you take, which is what God can do by redeeming, he can take those memories, some of the worst memories of your life, he can take those and make them something beautiful when they're filtered through his Holy Spirit. But if you let it go unfiltered and it passes God's Spirit working in your life, it can be devastating and create bondage in your life and for other people around you. Like I said, if you don't deal with it, you'll cause other people to have to deal with it with you. You'll make it someone else's problem. Because you were not willing to deal with it. I am so glad that my past does not paralyze me and define me. It motivates me for the good of others. My past is part of me. I cannot run from that. But it does not define me. And so I'm so thankful that because of that, I can be the father to my children, the husband to Jan, the leader of hundreds of teens over a few decades, and adults, especially since we've been at renovation. Because it's not just what God saved me from, it's what he saved me for. Amen? Would you stand with me? We close in prayer. Ask Josiah and him to come down as we close, just with that last song we sang, Lord, I need you. And again, for some of you today, you may want to come, and as we mentioned in our Intro to Reno class today, we'll have, we may have another one in a couple of weeks. If you did not come to Intro to Reno today and you want to uh, do that, we may do another one in a couple of weeks. It was awesome, so I just want to let you know, and Jan had her blueberry cake that was missed. You missed that. So, But no, really, seriously, uh, our passion and our desire is to see you live into the fullness of what God has for you. Part of our tradition is being a part of the Church of the Nazarene, and one of the traditions of the Church of the Nazarene are altars. And those altars are a place to come and pray really just lay down your burdens it's a public statement often not everybody needs to know what it is we're not saying that but it's just a starting place and so as we sing this song and as I pray for us and we'll sing this song if you feel today for whatever reason that coming and kneeling nobody will bother you somebody may lay a hand on you and pray for you uh, but between you and the Lord maybe it's between you and your spouse I don't know but we want to offer that before we leave here today but Lord we come before you today thanking you that you don't give up on us 
Whew. So thankful. Lord, after all these years of walking with you, I still trip. But Lord, what I've learned is get back up. Get up, get up, get up. And not necessarily to see who saw me fall. But to call out the enemy. To call out what tripped me. And to do everything I can that those who come behind me will not stumble over it. They may have their own things to stumble over, but not because I placed something there. So Lord, today, for fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, singles, young people, teenagers, this is not just for older people who don't have anything else to do. Lord, you've called them from the youngest of young to follow after you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, Lord, I pray even teenagers in here today that they understand this call to renovation and to fully walking in what you have for them is for their age also. Lord, help us now to have the courage to not excuse any longer but to accept that you're working in our lives and you're awakening us to be more than we ever thought we could be because of your power working in us. Lord, help us now as we sing just for a minute and Lord, your people respond accordingly. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.